Hey everyone, it's another week of Find Your Film. We are back, maybe a day later, a a couple of dollars short. But today is Thanksgiving. I'm so glad to be joined with my buddies, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. It's Thanksgiving. So instead of eating turkey and doing all the little fixings and cooking and and having a good time with our, our loved ones, the most important parts of our li- of people in our lives, we're actually spending our Thanksgiving morning talking about movies, which is fun anyway. So I am joined. I'm Greg Suzvasti. I am joined with by with Bruce Perky. Bruce Perky mm-hmm. is called is calling himself Inherit the Perk. That is a reference to a movie which we will cover. <laughs> you know, this is the thing: is here's my little gamble this week. We are recording the the video podcast, which, by the way, you can check our video podcast by going to Bruce Perky's YouTube channel, Rusto Meyer. Okay, so go to Rusto Meyer to see our weekly videos of Find Your Film. But I'm doing a little bit of a bit of a uh, gamble this week by actually recording on the cloud on on zoom i hopefully this recording works well the reason why i'm doing that is now you can actually see our name titles when you go to bruce perky's youtube channel so you can actually see inherit the perk you're gonna see what that's p-u-r-k now i'm also joined with eric holmes the eric of snow holmes very good i'm sure listeners watchers you know what punny moniker that is in reference to the eric of snow holmes Snow Holmes, have you had a good week of watching really good movies in reference to your moniker? Were you really pleasantly surprised? Or were you happy with? Whatever? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll we'll get more into it, but uh, yeah, we saw a bunch of them this week, and uh, yeah, and we'll talk about most of them. <laughs> Probably push the rest on to next week, but yeah, there there was a uh, there were some good movies seen by me for sure. And here at the park, Bruce Perky, do you, do you want to see how this 60-minute podcast can go into about three hours? You want sure. to see that? You want to see that? Okay. <laughs> the Erica Snow Holmes, you have a shirt. It says Mr. Bungle. Never heard of yeah. them. What are they about? Uh, they're uh, a <laughs> band. <laughs> that, uh, it's got wow. kind of the uh, the Halloween kind of thing. That uh, live show that I talked about a couple episodes ago. Yes. Uh, when you get that, you can like also order a shirt and a uh, record and all that and so it finally came in uh, okay. a couple weeks after the cinematic shirt did so that thank you thank you for that that's mr bungle now for the lay viewer lay listener if they don't know a thing about mr bungle where should that person start what album or what's oh, yeah. the what's the <laughs> entryway what's the quick entryway uh, all, it all depends on what you like and then from there, I can point you to a okay. specific album because they, well, they they switch it up so much. It's impossible to pick one song that encapsulates everything they do. Okay, so for Mr. Bungle, let's just say that person is a film fan. That's why they're listening to Find Your Film. And they're saying, the Eric of Snow Holmes, what's the album? Where, what's my gateway drug into the universe of Mr. Bungle? Actually, that'd be a Phantomos album, the director's cut, uh, where they okay. do covers of a bunch of uh, movie scores. Oh, and oh. then that, that's got a lot of uh, uh, Phantomos has a bunch of members from Mr. Bungle in it. So that'll be your entryway, I suppose. Phantomos. Have you listened to, the, to that album, Bruce Perky, or would would, mm-hmm. would you actually? Oh, OK. You, yeah. You co-sign. Do you co-sign on that? Recommendation? I would co-sign on it. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. I, I always like listening to covers, especially covers that are wildly different, you know, in genre from where they originated or seeing how people interpret them, you know, like. You know, I used to, have to listen to punk rock ones where it'd be like their version of uh, Rio by Duran Duran or pick your pick your song. Do you ever get have you ever been mellow by uh, 
Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. You know, the reason why Bruce Perky sounds like like a real nice sexy soul singer this week is he's a little bit yeah. under the weather. So he's you sound like a little bit, but you sound great. You sound great. <laughs> you sound great, Bruce Perky. We're gonna make this very good and snappy so you can get to get some rest and be with your family. We're gonna make this very quick. I'm going I'm going faster. Going faster a little bit. Should I, should I go faster? Okay. No. You, I, I, yeah. How fast can you go? <laughs> I was going to use that. That you know, that's what she said. But uh, that's that's a horrible. <laughs> that's a horrible thing to say. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, where all three of us have seen this movie called Sound of Metal. I can't wait till all three of us review this film. But before we get to that, every episode of Find Your Film, we do a movie rewind where we look back on movies that was previously covered by one of us three. So. For the first movie rewind, the Eric of Snow Homes, do you have a rewind this week for us? Yeah, and I don't remember which one it is. I think it's Wolf of Snow Hollow. Is that the rewind? Yes. Okay. And I'll talk more about Thunder Road because I also saw that. But uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow is a uh, werewolf movie. Or is it? Or it is. Or I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, this movie has a really strange sense of humor to it. And... I uh, double featured this. I saw Thunder Road and then went and watched uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow right after. And These are both rentals, right? You, you rented both of them back to back. Is that what you did? You just on yeah. YouTube or something? Yeah, like Probably, I, I think on Amazon. I can't remember. Gotcha. I, my, Thunder Road is on Amazon for sure, but Wolf of Snow Hollow is pretty much brand new. So it's still rental. Okay. I probably, I probably rented that on YouTube then or something. I, it, it's out there for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, Wolf of Snow Hollow is really good. Uh, it's got a very, very strange sense of humor, which is why I think I'm glad that I saw Thunder Road first because they're done by the same people, same lead actor, um, who is Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings. And, uh, shoot. Yeah. Written, directed by, and starring Jim Cummings. And I fucking love that guy. (laughs) He's such a, he's such a weirdo, but in like a great way. And uh, I, I mean, the two, the, I'm trying not to talk about Thunder Road, but it's hard to because they, the both movies are kind of, they're not sequels of each other, but they feel like they should be. If you watch Wolf of Snow Hollow and you watch Thunder Road, it's like, this could probably be a prequel to Wolf of Snow Hollow. Not that Thunder Road has anything to do with werewolves in it. Um, Would you, here's a, some, a comparison I just thought of. Would you say it's almost like the first Evil Dead and then you do Evil Dead 2 is just like the first Evil Dead, but more. <laughs> like, like he piles on more stuff, you know? Well, so. ki- well kind of, because, well, you know what? Screw it. I'll, I'll just throw Thunder Road in this. <laughs> this is yeah, a rewind, regular review. Cause yeah. it, it, um, but uh, Thunder Road is more... Um, that's it, That one reminded me more of Snow Angels. Not, you know, not as depressing like Snow Angels is, but it's got that kind of... Uh, you know, Jim Cummings has that kind of Sam Rockwell kind of flavor to him, where he's sure. kind of a kind of a dork, kind of a buffoon, but he means well, but he can't quite he can't quite get to where he needs to go because he's you know uh, too selfish and kind of a man child. Um, and so, but he's and so he's a cop in this, and he's also a cop in The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So there's your link, and the the two characters are kind of similar, although I think he's a little more together in wolf of snow hollow and wolf of snow hollow also i believe is the last robert forster movie is that correct or did he do like another one after that i think that was his last one that's what i heard 
Yeah. In fact, I almost wondered if he had died during the production because he kind of falls out towards the end of the movie. You don't see him as much. I almost wondered if he got sick and they couldn't quite do all of his scenes. Yeah, I so. could. I I didn't notice it watching it, but now that you say that, I could kind of maybe. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it was real sad watching that because I I love Robert Forster and and watching him in this, I was like, God, I miss that guy. Like, you know, not that I knew him personally, but it, you know, you, you like seeing Robert Forster on screen and he's a wonderful presence. And I would say both these movies are really good, but they have a really specific sense of humor too, which um, also kind of reminded me of uh, uh buzzard. Mm. It's got that kind of weird kind of, n- and not quite Greasy Strangler, but you know how Greasy Strangler has its own... Th- th- these two movies aren't anything like Greasy Strangler, but you know how Greasy Strangler kind of has yep. its own sense of humor that only is in Greasy Strangler. Th- these two movies have its own sense of humor that only fit you know, with Jim Cummings. I'm assuming that's where it comes from. But uh, yeah, they're both fantastic, and I would check them out. Start with uh, start with Thunder Road, watch that, and follow it right up with uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow, and you shall not be disappointed. Unless you are, then you will be. One last. <laughs> I had mentioned that he should definitely do a Western. Can you totally imagine him in a Western? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Cummings. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I never I never even considered that. Man, Bruce, you're, you're like on fire today. You just keep bringing up stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense too, but... I, I, I don't know what he's got in store next, but I will watch anything this guy does because he's got such a unique kind of take on things. Uh, there are genres and movies you've seen before, but it's just got a little bit, you know, it's got a little different stank to it, and I like it. Yeah, was the hype worth yeah, it? I, one, one of the reasons why I decided not to watch it after all of these weeks is because everyone's been talking about it. But do you think... I remember Bruce, you were saying that he's very, very good, but you want something different for the next installment, correct? Maybe a little bit Only a because... Different. I feel like he can even do more. I don't want to see him do the same thing over and over again. But what I, if, if he did do the same thing over and over again, I would like it every time. I just want to see him do even more. But um, kind of to Eric's point, I think there's a certain actor, writer, directors that have a very specific style that you either love or you don't love, whether it's Adam Sandler or you know Albert Brooks or Woody Allen. or you know He's not like those guys, but each of those people, like you know it's their film. And you kind of love that vibe or you don't love that vibe. And I think that's what goes on with this guy. So if you kind of get into his vibe, you're, you're in for the ride, but, and I think it's great. So. And both, both movies are, Oh, Eric, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and making Blair shows up in Thunder Road. That alone is worth watching. <laughs> oh, very, very, was it, is it one of those gotcha cameos? Really cool cameo kind of things. It, it's uh, it's not like a blink and you'll miss it. He's in there for a little bit, but not, yeah, it's pretty much a cameo, but it, it's always anytime uh, making Blair shows up on screen, I get excited. So is it one of those things? If you like making Blair's films, then you're going to probably like Jim Cummings films as well. That, that kind of universe. Yeah, actually the, uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. If you like that, you'll like Thunder Road and you'll like Wolf of Snow Hollow. It's kind of it's kind of in that wheelhouse, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So both, um, you, like you were saying, Bruce, Thunder Road is available on Amazon Prime Video right now. And if you want to check out the Wolf of Snow Hollow, it is going to it's you're gonna have to rent it. And I believe it's coming out on Blu-ray or, or in DVD pretty soon as well. So that is the Wolf of Snow Hollow and Thunder Road for the Rewind 
Bruce, did we have a rewind? I'm I'm getting seen out here. Do we? Do you? I do thought you, you had something that starts with B and has a couple A's and a V in it, but I could be wrong. I think you're wrong. <laughs> so the <laughs> movie, the, <laughs> <Ba-ba>. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's called ba ba But several weeks ago, we did a a director spotlight on Dario Argento and Mario Baba. Okay, so I had no idea who these guys were, but I had a, a little bit of an idea. I knew Dario Argento directed Suspiria. I ended up watching Suspiria, and then but Baba, I was completely Mario Baba. Who's this guy? Italian filmmaker. I only knew. Argento. I thought he was the main guy from Jalo Cinema, but really the the Godfather of it all is kind of Mario Bava. And what was what was the movie that we spot spotlighted? Um, we did Blood and Black Lace. Blood and Black Lace. That's a great great movie by Mario Bava. And I remember for on one of the episodes to tease that Mario Bava episode, you talked about the anthology. Black Sabbath, which came out in 1963. I actually went back on, on a previous Find Your Film episode and had you, you were talking about how your favorite installment, by the way, listeners, Black Sabbath, three stories, and it's from different writers, obviously, Chekhov, Tolstoy, it's Baba's interpretation of these stories in his own Jalo gothic horror manner. Bruce Porky was pumping up this, the last installment. He said, if I recall, he said, if you see any of them, Definitely check out the third one, A Drop of Water, which is, I agree, A Drop of Water is a very scary, horrific installment of the anthology. That said, tying together this anthology, by the way, is Boris Karloff. He's sort of the the quasi-narrator of Black Sabbath, and he's in the second installment. The installment that I would tell you guys to definitely check out, each installment is very, very good. The second one is the meatiest one, the meatiest one, and it stars Boris Karloff in the in this movie, in the second installment. The first installment is right up my alley because it's not a gothic horror film, or it it has sort of, I guess, touch the touchstones of Jalo Cinema, which is the colors, the vibrant colors and the lurid sexiness of it all. It's called the telephone. And it centers on this woman who she's getting ready to to sleep. She get, or her nightgown. You, we we the camera just enters her apartment and her domicile, and you see this beautiful woman getting ready to sleep. But a telephone continuously nags nags at her very soul, and you, you're wondering why is this? Tel- why does this telephone keep ringing? She answers the phone, and she realizes there there's some admirer or mysterious figure who tells her that by the end of the evening she will be choked and killed so that's the premise and that's you get 25 to 30 minutes of the telephone and what's beautiful about this this short this this first installment of black sabbath is it's how can you make an interesting story within a confined space and Baba is such a visualist that you are locked in, just like you are in a Roman Polanski film. Like what was it? Compulsion or Repulsion? What was, what's the movie that's Repulsion? Is that the one with Deneuve in the walls and everything? Yeah, yeah Repulsion. Repulsion. Yeah, Repulsion. Yeah, this movie reminded me a little bit of Repulsion, but obviously a short version where most filmmakers can't make a story with a woman trapped in an apartment interesting. You know, very few filmmakers. Mario Baba proves he's a master really of suspense like Alfred Hitchcock as far as painting a, mm-hmm. a very interesting picture on what can happen to a woman 
and a telephone. So I, I highly recommend Black Sabbath. And also the second installment, Bruce, you mm-hmm. like the second installment well, as well, right? It's, I don't yeah, even it's know. It's good. It's, I yeah. mean, these are, they're not like, you know, it's like any anthology, right? You know, one of them just turns out to be your favorite, but they're all quality for sure. Yeah. So I would, I would recommend Black Sabbath Mar- directed by Mario Baba. It came out in 1963. I, yeah, I would, I would, if you really want to get into Baba's work, I would say definitely go, what is it? Black Sabbath first. And then I keep forgetting the name that the movie that you were talking about, Concrete. Blood and, Blood and Black, Black Lace. Blood and Black Lace. That's And the other biggie, film. the other biggie from that era usually goes by Black Sunday. And that's a black mm. and white one, but Black Sunday was kind of his big breakout. And that's, um, it also goes by like the mask of the demon or something like La Mask La La Demonia or whatever. Uh, those kind of three are his kind of his core starting three. And then later on, he gets a little more slashery in the seventies and you may not like it as much, but you, there's some stuff there to be had too. So um, yeah. And this is the second of our series of uh, movies that led to heavy rock band names. So uh, we're going to continue that as we go. <laughs> I had no idea. So obviously Black Sabbath, were they fans of Bob? I, I don't even know the whole backstory behind that. But yeah, if you're a fan of Black <laughs> Sabbath, just by default, I'm sure you've seen Black Sabbath directed by Mario Bava. I saw it on streaming on Canopy. Canopy, hardly anyone really actually has Canopy. You will, and, and, you know, if, if you hopefully in your town, if you have Canopy, you get three credits every month, three movies every month. This is one of the three movies I actually was able to see. I'm looking on IMDb right now. Black Sabbath is also available for streaming on Mubi, which I've never tried. M-U-B-I. So, so if you want to check out Black and- Sabbath. And Shudder just dropped um, like seven or eight Baba movies, so they have a whole right, yeah. they have a whole Baba section right now. So if you have Shudder, you'll get the free thing on Shudder. If you want to check out Baba, there's a bunch of stuff there. So yeah, and again, if you are really into storytelling and you are a cinephile, if you want to learn how to really scare people, scare an audience, check out A Drop of Water, Bruce Berkey's recommendation, which is the third part of the installment of the anthology. And if you really want to see how to build suspense, I suggest checking out his first installment, The Telephone. But yeah, so that's Black Sabbath. That is it for our rewinds. We are going now to our big review of the week, Sound of Metal. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Sound of Metal. By the way, Sound of Metal, as we speak, is playing in select theaters. It'll come out on Amazon Prime Video on December 4th. So Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Sound of Metal. Well, um, so we got the uh, we got the screener link, and I don't know about you guys, but I could not turn the subtitles off. Um, so I was just watching it with the subtitles on, and I made a choice that there came a point in the. Uh, well, first of all, the movie's awesome. Let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, this, this movie floored me, but uh, it's about uh, Riz Ahmed. And he's a drummer and he's going deaf and he has to, as the people uh, that help him, he has to learn to be deaf. Um, And so anyway, so we got the subtitles and it gets to the point where he goes to, he goes to the, uh, what was that? A school or a house or sober house for deaf, for the deaf. Yeah. Yeah. And so he goes there and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it put it on mute and just watch the rest of the movie <laughs> with the mute on. <laughs> and, uh, and like when he's at, um, you know, when he's, it, it kind of, it was really immersive. It reminded me a lot of Memento where 
you don't know what the main character uh, just did because you hadn't seen it either because the movie goes backwards. I'm watching it with the sound off. And I guess uh, uh, Bruce mentioned that it, the movie actually does that. So I turned it on. Apparently I turned it on mute for no reason, but uh, yeah, it really brought me into the character. And then, uh, yeah, that's all I can say about that because anymore it would be spoilers, but I was very immersed. I was, it's weird. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, but it's not a suspense movie. And I don't under, like, I, I was just really, I, I was really into, uh, following this uh Riz Ahmed's character uh what, what what's his name Ruben Ruben yeah was really interested in following Ruben on his journey and yeah the, the, this uh I I could see early on that this movie was going to make me cry and it it did uh, <laughs> the uh the, this is like this is probably movie of the year material definitely top 5 for sure so very cool we have we also have to mention the movie is written, co-written and directed by Darius Martyr. Darius Martyr co-wrote the script with his brother, Abraham, Abraham Martyr. Mar- Abraham Martyr is also did a lot of the composing of the movie. Sound of Metal. I'm, Bruce Perky, I'm thinking you were able to really get some of the, the metal music references. Did that help the overall experience with you? The movie's 130 minutes. Did it feel like a long movie to you or like... Eric said, was it more of an immersive experience for you as well? Uh, absolutely immersive for me. I, I also agree. I think this is going to be top five for me. I, I adore this movie. This movie is is really spectacular. Uh, as far as the metal, and it's, it's kind of metal and punk and indie. I'm uh, it. I think what it does in that aspect that's really good, and I think Eric would probably agree, but he have to say for himself, they really nail the feeling of touring. And being in little clubs, the merch tables, just the kind of the feel of it seemed very genuine. So, I mean, as far as that aspect goes, I think it really, it lets you kind of get into the character's world. Although in some ways that's somewhat incidental. It's more of just kind of his personality as opposed to the actual meat of the story in a sense doesn't matter as much if he was into metal he could have been into hip-hop or djing or you know all kinds of music and it would have still worked now that being said there's awesome little touches in there that if you're into the scene you understand like he in a lot of movies like this they'll drop in songs from that genre instead of that he wears t-shirts throughout the movie and i you know caught the rudimentary pen eye which is this really awesome punk band from the 80s which i've never seen represented on film in any way um uh, Isterhausen Neubauten or however you say their name I can't say it right but you know them Eric yeah. uh and a few other ones that are just very obscure and weird which says okay they're they're in the scene and the other thing I noticed and then we'll go into the actual meat of the movie is he has a tattoo that says please kill me which you might think oh this guy's suicidal or something but please kill me is a direct um homage to Richard Hell who's in a punk early punk band like 70s Richard Hell and the Voidoids and he uh, Richard Hale wore a t-shirt called please kill me with a target on it. And that was a really famous, like kind of a punk rock iconic t-shirt. He's the guy that did a uh, blank generation, I believe. And it uh, ended up being a really great book, which is the oral history of punk. It's called um, please kill me. So a couple little inside pieces there. There's a, wow. there's a bunch of other uh, fun details. Now that you mentioned that. And, and I don't know if you would pick this up, uh, Bruce, you might, but uh, I, I play drums. So, the, when he first starts going deaf mm-hmm. and he's like, I'll just play, I'll just play. Oh, click track, me. the click track. 
Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. When, when you're when you play those songs enough times, it's muscle memory at that point. And I, I was thinking that I'm like, dude, that could, yeah, that could totally work. Like you don't need to if you're playing drums, you don't need to be able to hear to be able to follow along. You just one, two, three, four. As long as everyone else knows what song you're playing, they follow drums anyway. That was really good. Uh, the uh, the class learning to play the drums with the buckets and then standing around the the piano with their hands on their uh, on the piano and they can't uh-huh. hear it but they can feel the vibrations and that reminded me of a, a band I was in we would play and the sky would show up and I I don't know his name but every time we'd play he'd just stand with his back to the monitor uh-huh. and uh we're like, what's that about? And it's like, uh, someone mentioned, oh, he's deaf. And then we talked to him. And it's like, you know, uh, communicated as best we could with him. And we're like, like, you know, I'm ignorant as hell. And I was like, what, what, what are you doing here? And it's like, he just likes the vibrations. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, if you got like a really good drummer or a bass player, and he's got his back up to the, uh, he's got his back up to the speaker, he can kind of he experiences the music, but in a different way than we do. And and they really uh, touched on that a lot in this movie. It was I appreciated that for sure. Yeah, I, I really appreciated you know, Riz Ahmed's performance in this yes. movie. Yes. I think he's a shoe in for an Oscar win. Hopefully, a win. We were talking uh-huh. about Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems being the for me the most visceral performance last year, and the fact that it, it didn't receive a nomination floored me. But I have a feeling that Riz Ahmed is going to receive an Oscar nomination. Now, I don't know what the field is, yes. but I think he's a heavy favorite t- to win. And I, Bruce, can you talk to to the point? What made Riz Ahmed's performance? sort of resonate for you because it, it, we're, we're so confident at how, how, how good he is in this movie. Well, I mean, he has to do so many things other than, uh, well, see here, here's the basic thing to me that, that makes his performance so great is that the whole idea of him losing his hearing and having to deal with that is just an inciting incident. It could be anything in your life. That's a hardship. And in essence, it's just going to accentuate his demons, right. That he has to fight. And whether it's, you know, relationships or in his case, he has some, you know, uh, addiction situations, stuff like that. All the reason I'm saying all those things is that there's a moment where the other character, I think it's um, Joe played by Paul Racy, I believe. Yes. He's kind of the, he's kind of the counselor, kind of the head of the, the group there. He, ca- he calls him out and says, like, you are giving me that junky energy. Or he says something to that effect. And it's exactly true. And the fact is that his acting is so much in his body language and the way he moves and his sight and just the way like subtle changes in the tones of his voice where he goes from, you know, anguished to like, like he says, there's those moments where you can feel that, that hungry, intense, um, addicted kind of, I, I, we got to hold it all together. That kind of hold it all. We got to keep it all together. We got to get, it's going to be okay. We got it. This yeah. is, we got a plan. There's that kind of stuff going on, but it's a lot of it's not through dialogue. It's through the way he moves to the scene, the, the expressions on his face. And um, he's spectacular in this movie. And I think uh, Olivia cook is pretty, pretty good for maybe getting a probably supporting actress because she's not in it a ton. Yeah. I think, I think she's good enough to be a nominated as well for this movie. Eric, and, you're, oh, go ahead. So I'm sorry. That's, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eric, you were you were talking about the immersion of the movie, 
yeah. in, in the deaf community. Uh, uh, for me, watching Riz as Ruben interact with real members of the deaf commu- community, and they're doing they're both they're all doing great jobs as actors. It really felt to me that it wasn't acting. Did it feel to you like it was very real? The kind of interactions he was having in that in that made up sober house. Yeah. Um, in fact, when they're uh, when they're sitting in the when they're sitting in the circle and they're signing to each other, um, and Ruben's kind of kind of lost, and you know, I, I'm assuming they weren't were they actually talking during that scene? Because again, I had it on I had it on mute, but I, uh, it. I, I I was I was watching that part, and I'm like, I'm with you, Ruben. I, I you know, I'm a little bit frustrated. Don't quite know what, what's going on, but that I mean, that just that just helped me go on Ruben's journey. It was like you know that had yeah words <laughs> bruce yeah so that's the thing so turning the sound off and everything would definitely immerse you in it i would definitely suggest watching it again with the sound because yeah. this is an incredibly intense and subtle sound design and i'm sure greg agrees with this too it does really interesting things where it'll go back and forth and i think it's like perspective. So sometimes you'll be in his perspective and hear a very muffled or very not hardly anything. And you'll just be seeing things around him. Sometimes it'll go all the way away and just be the natural sounds that you, you would hear right now if you had perfectly good hearing. And sometimes like there's that dinner scene where they're all, they're all doing the, the signing and he's not quite sure what's going on, but we're hearing the sounds of that, which is just like hand smacking and lips and a little bit of vocalizing and it's really fascinating. And I don't know if you had this reaction, Greg or Eric, but I had this reaction where as it went on, I, and it would go back to full sound of everything around it, it started to be less appealing. The full sound started to be less appealing than the focused, the focused yeah. visual like moments that he was having. Sure. And it was, I was almost having a reverse effect to what I thought it would have, where I thought every time it would go back to full sound, I'd be like, oh, finally, we're back to this. It, it started having the reverse effect on me. And I don't know if that was intended, but I thought that was very, very interesting. I mean, I, I don't think this is... Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. I, I, oh, I, I, I was going to do that same thing, but I didn't know how much of that we wanted to get into. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not like a huge twist ending because it's kind of where the movie's going. But uh, but yeah, there there is a point where I did turn the sound on. And all I wanted to do was turn it off again, <laughs> because uh-huh. at that at that point at that point of the movie, I'm you know I you know at first it was frustrating, and then I just kind of I kind of got into the uh, the the uh, rhythm of the movie, and then the part where I turned the sound off, I'm sure you can imagine when that was, or when I turned the sound back on, I'm sure you can imagine where that was, and then all I wanted to do was turn it off. I'm like, I, I no, I can't, I can't, I can't, <laughs> but. uh yeah, uh, to your um, so I did I did catch some of that the the little muffled yeah. kind of yeah. stuff because they had a little bit of that towards the end, but uh, yeah, it's really right. good. And then That's the so the very, the very last shot where you know things kind of come together for them that mm-hmm. you're that you were getting at, yeah. Uh, that 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 was the moment. I'm like, oh, I'm with the man. <laughs> well, did either did either of you? Yeah. I'll, I'll get. I've been talking too much, but did either of you? I had this weird feeling like this almost hits me in its own way. Like one flew over a cuckoo's nest. Did mm. either of you get that vibe? It's a different story and a different subject matter, but this like outsider who's kind of rebelling and has to kind of come into a group and understand himself better within that right. context. Yeah. 
That's a great, and it, that's and a great I, thing. And both like super, like they emotionally hit you in a way you're not quite ready for. I feel like both movies. Very I don't think, good I don't think mm-hmm. you're ready for this movie until you've seen it. And when you see it, if you open yourself up to it, I think it's fantastic. Well, it, it exists. I mean, it's not, it's one of these things, Eric, you're right about the spoilers. What do you want to give away? But I think to your point, Bruce, you're not really giving away anything because Sound of Metal, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, they exist on a very, if you bare bones it on a, on a trope level, meaning you define yourself as one person and you don't want to join the club because you feel like you're an outsider, but then the club becomes your home, right? You're too cool. You're too cool for school. You're, almost. you're too cool for the yeah. club. Yeah. So it's, it's that story has been told a million times before. And what sound of metal and one flew over the cuckoo's nest does with Milos Forman. And now Darius smarter is they take a trope and they don't beat it to death. Meaning they let the story play and they, they just let the performances speak and the humanity speak. And that's why we talk about cinema that sometimes you can use so many great devices. We talk about Mario Bava and we talk about De Palma. We talk about the precision of David Fincher in digital, but sometimes you just got to tell the story on a very human level. And when people say they're trying to tell the story on a human level, what they're actually doing is they're telling the story on a very cinematic level and they use tricks and then use manipulation to get us to tears. And then what Cuckoo's Nest and Sound of Metal does is they get us to tears just by telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was floored by, by Sound of Metal as well. So. <laughs> We're all like speechless. <laughs> yeah, speechless. But yeah, I mean, it's a hard. It's a hard. Let's just stop and watch Sound of Metal. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's so hard to get there. It's so hard to get there. And the fact that Darius and Riz and everyone got there was ridiculously amazing. It's shot on film. Okay, on a technical mm-hmm. cinematic level, it's shot on film. Shot not not shot on digital, and it's shot in a cr- chronological fashion. So it's shot from A to B, which is so hard to do budget wise, and so. Yeah, it's a beautiful film, folks. We're all getting emotional. We love Sound of Metal. You guys got to see it when it hits and when it hits Amazon Prime Video December fourth. I have a feeling from the corner of my eye, Bruce, you wanting to say something about Sound of Metal as well. No, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. Nope. Eric Holmes, final thoughts on Sound of Metal. Uh, Riz Hamed for only learning drums for what was it, six, seven months? Pretty good. He's pretty good at it. (laughs) And on top of that, he's learning sign on top of learning. Yeah. And he's bulking up. Right. So he's doing, he's like triple threat. I I really, it's, this is one of those movies that will hit you on an emotional level. I have a feeling guys, do you, do you think maybe on a second watch it, it will even resonate more now that we know kind of the lay of the land? What do you, what do you guys think about Mm -hmm. this? Yeah. I think you can fall into the characters even more because you're not, you're always a little bit worried about the plot the first time through a movie. And now that the plot can kind of go away, you can just sit with the characters. And I feel like some of those scenes, like I talked about before, where they're at dinner or like around the, the, the piano, like Eric mentioned, I mean, you could just sit in those moments. I could strangely see, as he said, it's sad, but I could strangely see this as being a movie that I could go back to again and again and again, and just mm-hmm. living in the world with them. Um, I really, really adore this movie. Yeah. This is yeah. a top five for me. I, I, Oh, Eric, you're saying? Oh, I, I was just gonna say. I think on uh, repeat viewings, this will be a lot funnier than yeah. I remember. 
because I do remember laughing a couple times, but the the movie's so kind of uh, intense, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the the comedy doesn't like it doesn't stick with me. I don't remember it. But I think uh, once you get once you like you said on second, third, fourth, eighteenth watch, you know <laughs> the, the the comedy of the movie will really start to shine through. I think. Yeah. Well, well, I know you know Bruce. I know Eric actually gave gave away his top five earlier this year. I know it has to be the trial of the Chicago seven. It's going to be top five uncle peckerheads right up there and, and sound of metal. I think the only thing would be what, what are the other two in your list? We'll, we're going to see what's coming at, at the moment. Pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you, you have seen, we're going to cover Mank next week and you have seen Mank. Have you Eric? You've seen yeah. that. Okay, yeah. cool. So v- credit goes to Eric Holmes for not, for not spoiling our, our Mac episode for next week. He's, he's going to give us his reaction on that movie next week. And I have to get to watching Mac as well. Bruce, you need to get the screen. Hopefully you get the screener uh, screening link in the midnight hour. That is not Bruce Perky's fault. That is Netflix's fault. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to take a stand. <laughs> and by taking a stand, we will never get Netflix screening links ever again, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about Mank next week, but that is sound of metal. We are so excited for you guys to check this out. It is going to be an Oscar nominated hopefully it's going to receive its share of wins i think most importantly the most important part regarding side of metal is you dear listener and watcher go check out side of metal when it hits prime video on december 4th hopefully if it's playing near you in your local theaters and you are not in a if you're brave enough to go to the theaters check it out it's really an immersive experience okay so now we're done with side oh Uh, a quick question Hmm. Is Sound of Metal going to be nominated for Oscars or is it going to be the movie that should be nominated for Oscars and isn't nominated for one? And then everyone gets up in arms like, what the hell were you thinking? I give it five minimum, five nominations. Yeah. yeah. I think to Bruce Bruce's point, I, I'm i a conspiracy theorist and, and Murphy's Law kind of, kind of guy. I just don't see how I really, I'm going to be positive. I don't see how this movie doesn't get feeded with so many nominations i think this is a no-brainer choice this is right up the only thing that's going to give it any kind of competition as far as the movies we've seen and a couple movies i've seen is nomadland but that's the only thing i think that is in sound of metal's way and i'm gonna probably talk a little bit about nomadland towards the end of this on this episode but not but not too much but sound of metal amazing but i don't think eric so i i would say don't worry. Right, Bruce? You don't say, don't worry. It's not going to be... Don't worry. It's got to get nominated. If it doesn't, gonna, I'll be amazed. They're not going to Tony Collette this movie? <laughs> no, no, because this isn't horror. I think this is the kind of movie they actually oh, like. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> so... <laughs> That, and if it involves a, if it involves a kind of a disability that kind of that makes them feel good about themselves so they can nominate it even though it should get nominated it deserves to but if the same thing was in a different landscape it wouldn't get nominated. I got gotcha. you. So, yes. Yeah, you're probably right. I hope you're right. Uh, yeah, it I'm, deserves it. Yeah. I just can't wait till the till we finally, you know what? This might get, you know, if Rizamed gets nominated and and I think we all three of us might actually even watch the Oscars this year. <laughs> Interesting to see. That's how much I love Sound of Metal. So we'll see how that goes. And who am I going to start off with for Bruce Parkey? Let's start off with you as far as recommendations for this week. Okay. I will start with um, a movie that uh, Eric suggested. Um, I kind of challenged you to each bring me a movie, or I kind of challenged myself to do a movie that one of each of us loves. And Eric has quite a few. 
but we decided to do Inherit the Wind. Of course, there's a famous um, older version. Well, I guess they're both older now. But uh, I watched the one that he said he really likes to watch, and that is the 1999 version directed by Daniel Petrie. And I think it was originally a TV movie. I'm not sure about yeah, that. I, think, I, I thought movie. both of them were. But I, I yeah. might be wrong about the older one, but yeah, the, the that one's yeah. definitely a TV movie. Uh, and of course, this stars Jack Lemmon as Henry Drummond and George C. Scott, which I believe is his last film performance. Oh. As Matthew Harrison Brady, uh, it also has Piper Laurie and Bo Bridges and a ton of people you'll recognize. But it's essentially about the commonly known as the the Monkey Trial. It's about the trial of evolution being banned from the schools for religious reasons or whether it should be allowed in schools and so on and so forth. So most people are probably aware of the basic concept of it, um, and I even was aware of the basic concept of it, but had never seen the movie. And um, I would just say it's. You know, it's essentially a courtroom drama. So if you like courtroom dramas, that's a place to start with it. But the real the real reason to come to this movie, I have not know if I've seen the old version, but I'm assuming the old version is the same way. This is one of those movies where you come to see the two main roles get acted out by some awesome actors. Um, and that's kind of your selling point on this one, for sure. And Jack Lemmon and George C. Scott, I guess the way I would look at it is, we kind of sometimes just relegate actors as they get into their, you know, seventies or eighties or nineties to, you know, bit roles or cranky grandpa, or maybe they're going to be a guest star in a murder. She wrote kind of a movie, you know, kind of a TV show. And this gives a chance to show you like, here's two actors that are almost at the end of their lives. I think they both die within three to four years of this movie being made. And they're both just acting up a storm. And it's so fun to watch these two actors work together. And I was also really surprised by the relationship between the two characters. I figured they were just going to be um, kind of like, like enemies, political enemies to the end, because, you know, one's on one side and one's on the other side. And it was much more subtle than that. And that surprised me too. So I would say for people who are interested in definitely the acting and also the story, it's, it's a, super smooth and easy watch you sit down you watch it and it just pulls you right on through you're right george c scott died in 1999 the director daniel petrie died five years later at the age of 83 in 2004 and jack lemon like you said he plays henry drummond gives a great performance like you were saying bruce he passes away two years later at the age of 76 in 2000 in 2001 so wow. even the filmmaker Petrie lasted longer, but died five years later. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it's their energetic and amazing performances and subtle and just, and when they want to chew the scenery, they chew the scenery. I mean, you know, George C. Scott is not known for being the most subtle actor in the world. <laughs> you know, he's, he kind of gets out there, but his, his role acts, asks for it. Uh, but anyway, I'd like to hear a little more Eric, what he thinks about it too. Like why he loves it so much. I, I, well, I, I think the main reason why I like courtroom dramas in general is that they always take a concept and they argue the concept. So you just got the, the polar opposites and it's a conversation. I mean, inherently, <laughs> inherently <laughs> it's a conversation, different word, but still, but yeah, this, uh, the, the idea of, uh, Hey, we should be able to, we should be able to teach uh religion in school. You know, that's why, why not? 
and this kind of illustrates why that's a bad idea yeah because then the town gets around it and it becomes uh you know it becomes this uh monolith and then all of a sudden science gets pushed out it's like what the here's a thing that happened we know it happened we can prove it happened we can do tests to show that it happened yet we're not allowed to teach children about it in school because you read a book once <laughs> you didn't well and isn't it weird how these movies when they're done well are sadly always relevant isn't that strange yeah. and weird like 12 angry men or you know pick pick the yeah. great courtroom dramas of our era and this would definitely be one of them like why is this still a relevant courtroom drama it is <laughs> i'm yeah. watching it in 2020 and going like holy shit this is right on track 20 years I think it also, I think it also similar to 12 Angry Men. It got a running start being a play first. And so if the play wasn't good, they wouldn't have kept adapting it or maybe they would. You know what I mean? Like as far as the actual concepts are still relevant. Oh yeah. You could see, you could see it not being relevant. I mean, it's from a case that was almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. Which is is sad. It shouldn't be relevant. (laughs) We should have got past this, but we haven't. No, Eric. So you've seen both versions. Okay. And I, I remembered uh, I would message you and I wasn't able to actually, I was only able to watch 30 minutes of the 1960 version before we get, we started recording. Okay. But yeah, it's, and you, but you specifically told me watch either version. They're sort of the same. Yeah. That said, do you see any kind of differences between the 1960 version and the one that Bruce saw, the 1999 version? Because this one is two hours and eight minutes, the, the black and white version. But do you see a, any any marked differences? Well, uh, the ones in color and the, <laughs> the one with <laughs> right. Jack Lemmon. Uh, the, the only reason I like the one with Jack Lemmon is because Jack Lemmon's in it, and I love Jack Lemmon. But, yeah. I mean, the story, like both of them are – they both get to the meat of what the, what the play was about. So there's not a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, differences that, that I notice. maybe, you know, you go frame by frame, you'd probably find a bunch of differences, but the meat is the same on all of them. Well, I will say this. Okay. Now I'm not like I'm an expert. I'm 30 minutes into the 1960 version, Bruce, and it's directed by Stanley Kramer and it stars Frederick March and Spencer Tracy, Gene Kelly, plays a journalist who's covering the trial. Gene Kelly plays the H.L. Mencken Mencken type of character. So he's the colorful character, one of the many colorful characters. Dick York from Bewitched. Is it Bewitched? Dick York plays Mm -hmm. Bertram T. Cates. He's the the teacher, a.k.a. John Scopes in the 1960 version. John Scopes, a.k.a. the monkey trial, the John Scopes trial, right? The real person, the real teacher who was put onto trial. For the premiere of the 1960 version, the original Inherit the Wind, he actually attended the premiere of Inherit the Wind, which was pretty awesome. couple things. After we record this podcast, the reason why I can't wait to watch this movie is it's lensed by Ernest Laszlo. Ernest Laszlo, during oh. his career, he lensed a whole bunch of movies, Oscar nominations, up the wazoo. And this was his first ever Oscar nomination. I released, he received eight Oscar nominations throughout his career. And yeah, he worked as a camera operator on the 1927 film Wings for Pete's sake. So the main wow. difference that I saw, 
Eric, I, I haven't seen the 1999 version with George C. Scott or Jack Lemmon, but when you watch the opening moments of 19, this 1960 courtroom drama, Inherit the Wind, the star of right now is the actual camera work. It's a beautiful looking movie. And when you add a lot of beautiful visuals to a courtroom drama, it just enhances. The, obviously, the, the hard the heart of it is like what's Eric, what you're talking about it. It takes an issue and it presents both sides. And it's very interesting. And that's why I'm sure you love the trial of the Chicago seven is because it does just that, just that, but it's also beautifully directed and it's visually just be- eye catching. And I think this version, the 1960 version is really worth a watch uh, whenever you guys have time. I'm not saying Eric, yeah. you've seen this movie time and time again. Did you get that feeling as, as far as like the, the epic scope of the 1960 version as well? Not, not really. Um, when, again, when I'm watching this, I'm, I'm in it for the, for the story and for the, the concepts of what they're talking about. So they, um, and this probably goes through most courtroom dramas for me. I'm just locked in on what the, what the uh, debate is. And so a lot of the filmmaking stuff that I would normally catch on to just goes right over my head. Do you like cheesy courtroom dramas? Meaning, will you watch a cheesy suspense thriller courtroom drama? I'm thinking like, what's that share movie with uh, that was in a courtroom with, with uh, was it Dennis Quaid or some suspect or something like that? Uh, right. Is that yeah. that movie? Will, will you watch or have you ever seen the Billy Wilder movie a witness for the prosecution have you seen that one yes yes okay yeah isn't that isn't that movie like almost like three four hours long but it feels like an hour and a half or am i thinking of something else maybe you might be thinking of something but you know what witness for the prosecution was made into a tv movie maybe you're thinking about that but the billy wilder version with i think tyrone power and marlena dietrich i've got to see that again but I, I got the DVD over there. I'll have to check it. But I, maybe it was either that or Anatomy of a Murder. But one of them, Anatomy or maybe of both of them, it was really long, but I didn't notice it while I was watching it. I, like, I, I just get so locked into those things that, like, yeah, all, all the camera stuff that you mentioned may, in fact, be true. And I have no reason to doubt you. I just don't pick up on that because I'm just so locked into what the story is and what the arguments are. First of all, you have every reason to doubt me because I don't know what the fuck I'm, what the f I'm talking hey. about. Hey, <laughs> pay the I gotta pay. Do I gotta pay twenty dollars somewhere? Yeah, you know what? I'm, um, you know what? Next week I'm gonna put twenty dollars into a movie. We have a swear jar for find your film for next week. I'm gonna actually talk about a, a short film. I, I definitely want to spotlight as far as our crowdfunding and everything like that. So I'm gonna put twenty dollars into our our, our prototypical prototypical find your film swear jar. I'm gonna actually create something. <laughs> put literally twenty dollars, and you can see it next week. But okay, that said, Inherit the Wind, 1988. Eric Holmes, you definitely have to see this movie. It's it's directed by David Green, stars Kirk Douglas, Jason Robards, and Kolchak, the Night Stalker, a.k.a. Darren McGavin. So maybe down the road, that's a movie that you should try and to this, check out. And this is an adaption, or is this a this different movie a, with the same? It came out in 1988, before your 1999. You, Mr. Kirk Douglas expert, who've been, you've been doing your no. own, find your film archive by watching all of Kirk Douglas's movies. Here's a Kirk Douglas movie you got to see. I don't even know how that skipped past me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Bruce I, and I, we're not going to watch it, okay? It, but you're going to have to watch Inherit the Wind. It's, it's, it's Thanksgiving now, right? It's not Christmas? Because <laughs> it feels like Christmas right now. Oh, very cool. And, and for, in fact, I'm sorry to say this before we get to uh, so, to your own recommendation. Inherit the Wind 1988, I made a mistake. I watched about 15 minutes of it. 
and I was thinking, oh man, I really can't watch this movie. I did not like it. I did not like this movie whatsoever. I can't wait till you watch it because you have a bias with Kolchak, the Night Stalker and Kirk Douglas. You might set me straight. It might not be as good as those other two movies, but who knows? You might find value in the 1988 version of Inherit the Wind. So, yes. and again, Amazon Prime Video, you can watch it. Bruce, I was actually going to watch the original Inherit the Wind. I saw it. I, I, I opened up my Amazon Prime Video. They took it off. <laughs> they they freaking took it off. So I had to, it's available. The original, the 1960 version is available uh, with Spencer Tracy and Frederick March and Gene Kelly. It's available if you have a subscription to the library service Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A. And Bruce, how did you see the 1999 version uh, again? YouTube with ads. YouTube has a ton of feature movies with ads and high quality, just like okay. Tubi and other stuff. Yeah. So Okay. And the 1988 version, which Eric Holmes is going to watch very, very soon, sooner than later, which stars Kirk Doug- Douglas, Jason Robards, <laughs> and Darren Kolchak, the Night Stalker, McGavin, is available on Amazon Prime Video. So... By the way, this podcast is sponsored by the makers of Inherit the Wind and John Scopes <laughs> and Creationism versus Evolution. So we are getting we are getting a little subsidy from the planet of the apes and humanity. So that, that is Inherit the Wind. Eric, you want to say something else before we wrap on to, the, to your own recommendation? Uh, watch Inherit the Wind. Great movie. Any one of them, except for the 88, because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure that one's even more fantastic. <laughs> It's only 96 minutes, so they, I'm sure they left a, a little bit out. Maybe the trial. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm kidding. But so, okay, so what is your first recommendation for this week? My first recommendation is a uh, 1987 movie uh, written and directed by John Hughes, starring Steve Martin and John Candy. Uh, you think uh, Thanksgiving movies, you only think of one, because I'm pretty sure there's only one. <laughs> Uh, this is planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, it's just one of those movies you watch every year at Thanksgiving, and um, it's real funny, real heartwarming. As John Hughes, as John Candy, I miss both of them dearly, and eventually Steve Martin will die, and I'll miss him dearly as well. Um, I, but I, that said, maybe Steve Martin will outlast us all. Maybe he'll be a hundred, and we're we're. Yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of when he came out of the womb, he did look like he was eighty. Um, but I, I, I don't know what you can say about uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. I well, just I haven't seen it, it for for thirty years or, or so. Does it still upon a rewatch? Is it still what makes it let not a dated film for you? Uh, for me, it's it's the uh, well. I mean, obviously, it's funny, but uh, John Hughes is really good at getting. Uh, uh, you could call it melodrama, but I think it works, especially like the uh, scene with John Candy when uh, he's like the uh, people like me, I like me scene. Um, know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Where it's like Steve Martin just really gets into him. He's like, yeah, you can talk all that shit, but blah, 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 and look at yourself. And then, yeah, they, he, he just he hits these uh, emotional notes that are definitely melodramatic, but they always work on me. And I don't know why. Uh, John Hughes just had that certain kind of magic that he could kind of pull out of people. And then having John Candy in his corner probably helped a lot with that. I am going to, uh, Bruce, tell me if I'm wrong. And Eric, if tell me if I'm wrong as well. Planes, trains, and automobiles. I saw it in 1987. And I remember as a 16 year old high schooler thinking, John Candy, what a great bleeping 
potential dramatic actor. And mm-hmm. until Candy's passing, let's see when he passed, I had not, I have not seen a lot. He passed in 1994. Within subsequent years, I have not seen a lot of his, I had not seen a lot of his movies. And even since 1994 or 1987, I haven't seen a lot of Candy movies, but I would remember when a Candy film would be released after Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That movie wouldn't receive the same amount of acclaim. And then I would kept kept saying to myself, how come Candy hasn't done something as amazing as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Again, I haven't seen Uncle Buck. But would you consider Candy's potential unfulfilled because of tragedy? Or am I wrong in my theory that he's done so many more amazing things after Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I mean, he could he could have definitely done a bunch more. Like he he's definitely done the dramatic stuff. And he, if you watch Uncle Buck, he's got a lot of that in there. Like Uncle Buck is real similar to this, um, in that it's funny and that's what it's known for. But it's got a bunch of those really great uh, melodramatic character moments uh-huh. that kind of hits you in the feels. But uh, yeah, if John Candy was still alive, like I could see him, I could see him pulling off like a John Wayne Gacy or the you know like a a serial killer type role or just get real dark with it. Or, um, you know, you, you think of like all the, what could have been, but uh, yeah, we got what we got. And, you know, I'm thinking I should have seen the ni- good stuff. I'm Bruce. I'm thinking I should have seen the 1991 Chris Columbus film. Only the lonely. That's a, that's mm-hmm. probably another movie of candies that I've sort of should have seen. Maybe there's a lot of movies that I just haven't, I've, I've ignored of can- candy. <laughs> If you watch Strange Brew, then I can make my name Strange Bruce for that day. So <laughs> deal. We'll do it. Or we can we can I, I actually did the press junket for Cool Runnings. Candy was not there at the press junket. Um I don't know why, but I remember not actually seeing the movie before the press junket. But if we did cool runnings, we could just do mm-hmm. we could rename as what would what would be the rename? Cool Perkings? Could, could I? Could we do that? Cool Runnings. What would be Bruce, the, the Bruce Runnings? Bruce Perkins. <laughs> I don't know. I figured. I think about it here. Yeah, but okay. So planes, trains, and automobiles. Did you see that on YouTube or just? Oh, it's a DVD. Have you always had the DVD? I do, but that one, I that one is kind of buried. So I had to, uh, I had to rent it on the uh, Amazon. Okay. But, uh, That's yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a Thanksgiving staple. And there's, I mean, there's not really much to say that hasn't already been said about it, but. One of the reasons I brought it up is uh, just to kind of put you guys on the spot. And if you don't know, we can move on. But are there what other Thanksgiving movies are there? Oh, I've I, got one. I've got one I, for you. Because I've looked up. Uh, um, let's see what we got here. I look up a uh, thing. Oh, thanks. Killing. Well, thanks. thanks. Killing. Thanks. Gobble, killing. gobble, motherfucker. <laughs> but, like, but, but like I'm looking up. Uh, I'm looking up. I'm looking up Thanksgiving movies and we got like Knives Out, Adam's Family. They're like movies that are like, you know, technically, I guess a part of it was made, you know, or that set near Thanksgiving. So they're going to call it a Thanksgiving movie. But I, I can't think of many actual Thanksgiving movies like. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pulling it up on Google right now. And I guess the only thing that comes close and it doesn't come close is the Jodie Foster film Home for the Holidays with Holly yeah. Hunter. So, but that's it. I mean, well, at least it's got holiday in the title. So, I mean, that that's good. But that's but, it. But yeah, 
like Knives Out. Who, who's watching Knives Out going, oh, my favorite Thanksgiving movie. I, I like, would agree. I would say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the Thanksgiving yeah. movie. Thank you, Eric Holmes, for your pick for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So this is is this something that you like to watch every year or maybe every other year? Yeah, and not just for not just for uh, Thanksgiving, but just in general. I think okay. it's a great movie. Thank you for that Thanksgiving pick and F you, Eric Holmes, because now that just means I have to upload it and edit it and put it up on today. <laughs> F you. Gobble, gobble, mother effer. <laughs> but anyways, in all seriousness aside, I, I, def- I definitely have to see planes, trains, and automobiles again and watch more of candy stuff. Inherit the park, Bruce Sparky. What's your next pick? Uh, my next one, uh, it came to my attention partway through uh william lindis movie bears podcast he's always suggesting great stuff uh he noticed that um steve mcqueen the pretty awesome director is dropping five movies in the next five weeks under the heading of small acts on amazon now don't let it throw you off because it'll say like series one episode one each one is an independent movie um the only I guess the only uh, tying thread between them is they take place in a similar neighborhood area of London sometime between the 60s and the 80s, but they're not interconnecting stories. Is so, he directing these or is he producing them? Uh, I think he directs well, the first two. I haven't watched all of them yet. The I haven't watched the second one yet either, but the first two that I've seen the information on are both directed by Steve McQueen. Okay. So the one I'm reviewing is uh, Mangrove, which is the first drop. Uh, this is a full two-hour movie, and it is a fantastic companion piece to um, Trial of Chicago 7, if you enjoyed that this year. Yeah. Uh, a different a different style. It's not going to be as, you know, quippy and kind of, you know, the style that Chicago 7 is, but in Steve McQueen's own way, it's, it's equally excellent. Um, it is about the Mangrove 9. Believe it or not, they were called the Mangrove 9. So what this is, this takes place in the Notting Hill area of London in the late 60s, right? 68, 69, 70. And um, the Mangrove was this uh, Caribbean restaurant. Uh, and this uh, guy named uh, Frank Critchlow, played by Sean Parks, has this restaurant as his, he, I guess, had run some other places and they'd had gambling and stuff and got broken up. And he wanted to run a legitimate restaurant. And it becomes this gathering place. And of course, it's the late 60s. So there's, you know, political activism, there's Black Panthers in England, um, there is a constant police threat to people in that community, just because they are Black people, and they are from outside of London, they are immigrants, you know, from the West Indies, so they're yeah. constantly targeted. And in fact, um, so the main characters you're going to see in here are Frank Critchlow, which I mentioned, he's the owner. You've got uh, Althea Jones Lacroix, uh, She's played by Letitia Wright. If you know Letitia Wright, she was my favorite part of Black Panther. She's been in yeah. a bunch of things. She's excellent in that role. And uh, Darkest How, Darkest How is one character. He's like a real person. These are all real people. Uh, played by Malachi Kirby, and then PC Pulley, who is the palacious um, cop, uh, and he's played by Sam Spruill. Uh, amazing movie. So it's got a trial. We talked about trials earlier. Basically, the first half of the movie just lets you live in the life of this neighborhood and really especially live with these main characters I kind of mentioned just to kind of get a feel for what the daily life is there, 
kind of how the political activism is bubbling up and also how the police threat occurs to them. And then as that goes on, it eventually leads to a demonstration, kind of similar to Chicago 7, and the demonstration turns into a, quote, riot, you know? And then that Mm -hmm. leads to the trial, of course. And uh, the trial is interesting and different than Chicago 7 in its own right, in that there are nine of them, right? And some of them have um, representation and some of them represent themselves. And it's also super interesting to me because I'm not as familiar with the, um, you know, the British legal system. So there's certain weird quirks that are different because it's the English courts. There's at least two performances, if not three, that could easily get nominated in this movie. Um, I don't think it's allowed to though, because I don't think it's getting any theatrical release. So, which is a shame. So Mm. I'm not sure about that, but uh, there's some moments with um, Sean Parks and Letitia Wright that are just stunningly well acted. And and it's, it's a fantastic and engrossing story. So check Mm. it out. Mangrove. And wait, are, is that so? That's the first part of the whole small acts. Are there? So there's other small acts installments right now on Amazon Prime. Yes, yeah, so right? every week they're releasing a new one, and it's a movie. Each wow. one is its own movie, and it's a different subject. I know John Boyega is the star of one of them coming up. I don't even know what it's about. Red, white, and blue. It's eighty minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. It's called yeah, Red, White, and Blue, starring John Boyega. I oh, I'm so excited to. And these are these look. These, it's weird because it's a mini series, but each installment is essentially a film. Yeah, kind of like the Masters of Horror, what they did with that. Just, yeah, I mean, technically it's a TV show, air quotes, but there are each their individual. Yeah. So you're just getting free five I mean, free awesome movies just dropped on you this December, you know, November, December, I mean, and wow. they're all amazing things that I'm not as familiar with. I and of course, like you, this is one like Chicago Seven, right? You'll start looking up some of these things. You'll look up the Mangrove Restaurant. You'll look up some of these uh, like images of the real people. Uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's By really the way, good. is Widows worth watching, guys? I I still haven't gotten. I have Wid- Widows I the screener. Uh, I think so. Oh, but okay. I, I've heard people disagree with me, and I like bad <laughs> movies sometimes. So I I mean, Steve McQueen he's such a good director. Anyway, you should at least check it out. You know. Okay. Okay. Get a, give it about a half hour if it's not grabbing you. Just bail. And yeah. But maybe you get half hour and go. And then what happened? And then sit through it. You never know. And I think that just to just to put a little fine point on it, the biggest difference with this one in Chicago 7 is Chicago 7, the main characters in that are all kind of, they're all kind of poking at the system. They're intentionally challenging the system. Whereas here, these people are basically forced to challenge the system because of the oppression. Like they, this main guy is constantly just wanting to be a restaurateur. He just wants to have his restaurant and have his little isolated little, you know, island of the Caribbean in his neighborhood. And he is forced into becoming a, a cause, you know? So that makes it, I think, extra fascinating as well. Wow. Oh, okay, cool. So that is Small Axe TV miniseries. The installment that Bruce Perky reviewed was Mangrove. It's available on Amazon prime video and like bruce was saying there's other installments other small acts installments available on the streaming service that you can they're dropping them every week so they're not out yet so each week you get a new one very cool very cool mangrove that sounds very interesting to watch again courtroom drama i'm sure you were salivating over those two words eric holmes speaking of which what is your next recommendation well that's the problem (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, no, there's got, a problem. Got two of them that I can't talk about, and a third one we decided to push to next week. So, um, well, no, I guess, I guess, okay. So there's the uh, the Dave Chappelle thing, uh, Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, last I checked, th- okay, this was on Netflix, and then I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. Uh, basically, it's just Dave Chappelle talking about what happened with the Chappelle show and how he got screwed over and how he wants, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's that it's that story. What what happened and why he did what he did and how Comedy Central kind of fucked him. And he's got some good points. Uh, there's one part in particular I kind of have a kind of take issue with. Um, he talks about uh uh, going on the, you know, he's a, he's a young kid on the street and he's watching the guys, uh, guys say, Hey, come here. And he's playing the, the three card money. Um, something similar to that. And, uh, they, uh, you know, they rip them off because that's what the game is. And, uh, Dave Chappelle got mad about it and then saw someone else about to go up and put money down. And then he's like, Hey, that's uh that's, that's not right. And then uh, the guy's like, hey, you know, he's like, uh, Dave Chappelle tells the story way better than I ever could. But it, it, it's that story. And, and the whole point of it is that the guy's like, you never get between a man and his uh, money or a man and his dinner or something like that. A man and his money. A man and his money. Yeah. Um, well, he, he it, it was that it was that sort of saying, but he kind of twisted it a little bit. But. And then it, this was like a real profound moment for him. And then he goes uh, about how, oh, the guy, it, at least this is the way I took it. The guy doing the three-card money, he's just trying to make a, a living, and he should be able to do that, even though he's hurting other people and ripping them off in the process. And then he goes on to tell a story about Comedy Central, how they're just trying to make a living and ripping them off in the process, but he's not saying it of, Hey, look how great Comedy Central is! It's like how look how evil these is. It's like you just told a story about someone on the streets doing the exact same thing Comedy Central was doing, but he he presented it as this is this is something worth revering, I guess, or maybe I just took it wrong and and this is wrong. And he's uh, comparing Comedy Central to uh, someone doing three card money on the streets. I think that would make the most sense, but it didn't. It didn't come off that way, um, but it doesn't matter because it's not on Netflix anymore. I don't know where you can see this. <laughs> well, it's it's it was. I think it was on Chappelle's Instagram, or I saw I saw it. It's basically yeah. his stand up. It's a stand up, but it's not. It's, there's no jokes. It's him just like Eric was saying, giving a story about how a lot of people the the perception is he quit the Chappelle show, and people thought, well, he got his $40 million and he's rich and everything's happy. He can go off to Africa for a while for a trip and then come back and, and live back home with his family. Everything's cool. And, and then he comes back after all these years to work with Netflix on these 20 million, I think $20 million a pop stand-up comedy special. So everything's yeah. fine and dandy, but now this, in, this entire thing was his explanation. His, I was going to say long winded, but his really well winded, very, very oh. intricate storytelling on why he fe- feels that Chappelle's show should not be streaming right now. And he, he expressed his his feelings to the powers that be over at Netflix, and they decided to take the Chappelle show down. It's currently streaming on HBO Max and other platforms, but the fact that they decided to 
hear him out was a very cool thing. And that's why Dave Chappelle is going to continue to work with Netflix. And he was saying that no matter what you think, we're going back to the three card money thing is you may be in a situation, watch your situation very closely because while you're, you know, he was saying that you're taking money from other people, they should be working, but there is, there is a group of people playing three card Monty in front of you. And they may be the people who are watching right next to you might be the people who are ganging up to Ooh. ultimately take your money, take your rights, take your liberty. So basically what he's saying is just really, I think in a big picture sense is watch, watch who you do business with. And uh, because you never know you're, <laughs> all, Greg, yeah, did you get did you get a weird sense when he was telling that that three card money that that was that the guy doing that was uh like a, that he deserved an, some sort of respect? Or did, well, the did, guy did who's you get that the, sense, he said the guy who did the third three card Mon, the Monty thing is he he holds Dave Chappelle by the by his I guess yeah. collar and he's and he's really threatening he's the kid. And Chappelle was yeah. what fourteen or fifteen at the time, and the the man who the, who's doing the card tricks he realized that he had him because he had fear in his face, mm. and that's why he decided to give him a little bit of mercy. But then he told him he said, "You don't come between a man and his money or his dinner or whatnot." It's basically sort of a story, true story about corporations. While you think you have all the power, and no matter how much of a creator you are, there's going to be other people who will gang up and try to take your own sense of living and yeah. sense of security. And thank goodness that Netflix is around to do business with Chappelle. So that's essentially yeah. what the whole thing was. And I guess, right. yeah, it's taken down now, which, which sucks, but it would have been cool to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I had an issue with that part, but the, uh, I mean, with Dave Chappelle, truth be told, I, I could listen to him write a, read a phone book, you know, that, that old canard. Um, he's just, he's just has that, uh, he just has that great voice and that cadence to his, uh, you know, he, he, he just said, I, I just love listening to him talk. So, uh, but yeah, that one part was kind of, it, it, none of this matters. You can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruce, B, okay. So that is, that is the, the thing you can't see from Chappelle. Hopefully eventually it will get released, but it's, it, if you haven't seen it already, it's really an interesting look at, at how he feel, why you don't, you shouldn't think that everything's fine. And Danny with Chappelle, like he's living on high street and everything. He's had his share of, of tragedy, especially when, when it comes to his business dealings. So it's a very, very frank look at his life. Now, Bruce, before we get to your final recommendation, I just mm-hmm. want to briefly recommend comes out December 4th in theaters, Nomad Nomadland. It's directed and penned by Chloe. Her last name is Z H A O. So you're thinking Zhao, but the way you pronounce it is Chloe Jaw. Chloe Jaw. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that because I read once in a while, but it's called Nomadland and it's my favorite film of the year. I can't wait till you guys see it because uh, I'm just going to give the plot summary right now, very quickly. Following, following the economic collapse of a company town in rural Nevada, Fern, played by Frances McDormand, packs her van and sets off the, on the road exploring a life outside of conventional society as a modern day nomad, nomad land. Now, what made Sound of Metal very interesting was Darius Martyr hired 
a bunch of non-actors, real people playing real roles. And in Nomadland, what Chloe Jaw does is she hires hired real people, real nomads to play the co-stars of Francis McDormand. So essentially it's a road movie, Francis McDormand in her van going place to place, working at an Amazon fulfillment center or working odd jobs to continue living in the van in different parts of America. And it, yeah, it is an amazing film. And I think the reason why we're talking and got emotional about sound of metal is if both of you saw Nomadland. It doesn't reach the, the same emotional heights of Sound of Metal, but it is an amazing story about life living on the fringes. And if you think life living on the fringes, you look at those people not as outsiders, but you, it's sort of a mirror on how how we can be some of those nomads as well today, especially with our times of sheltering the economy collapsing for many people or their lifestyle livelihoods changing. Maybe a lot of people think about packing up and going and, and living on a van by the beach and moving and nomad land. Really it's based on the book, nomad land surviving America in the 21st century. It is a beautiful film. If I'm sure most people are fans of Francis McDormand, whether it's Fargo three billboards, is that what's three billboards outside something? Ebbing. What, Ebbing, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I'm going to say, this is my favorite performance of Francis McDormand, Nomad Land. So I'm so excited for the award season because there are two movies that I'm completely, really uh, invested in. David Strathern, you know, he, he had his mm-hmm. own awards season with Good Night and Good Luck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's excellent in this movie as well. But the star of the film, along with Francis's performance is are the people that you get to meet along the way because when they're talking about their lives as nomads it's even though it's written by chloe jaw you can tell they're basically talking about their own lives and i don't want to give too much away but a lot of the movie deals with the power of not talking but the power of listening to other people's stories and that's what we do when we watch movies but that's really not a theme of movies. A lot of times the theme of movies is observing and watching and getting the experience. Nomadland talks about the importance of sitting down with sometimes strangers and people and listening to their stories. And that construct is something I don't see at all in many movies. And as an interviewer, I I really appreciated it. But more importantly, I think a lot of people would just get so much from Nomadland. So that is my, yeah, my number one film. I can't wait till you guys see this. We're going to wrap up this episode with Inherit the Perk, Bruce Perky's final (laughs) recommendations. Uh, And I think Eric might've seen this or seen part of it. This dropped on Shudder this week. I don't think it's anywhere else. It's Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist, uh, directed by Alexandra O'Philippe or Philip. He's kind of making a cottage industry of these really, really movie making centric um, focused documentary kind of films. He did uh, memories, uh, the origin of alien, which is excellent. He also did the documentary called 7852, which is the Hitchcock shower scene dissection. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's doing some really great stuff. So this movie is 90 minutes. It's all from the voice of William Friedkin. So we had our Friedkin special. Now, if you've seen The Exorcist, this is an amazing companion to The Exorcist. But 
more importantly, it's just an examination of Friedkin's process, you know, his personality, you know, his, his pretentiousness, but also his boldness. And <laughs> it's just all there for you to watch. And what it does is it just, I mean, it's just great. If you're a movie lover, you're going to love this on multiple levels. Uh, little examples. I mean, for all, all the extra exorcist stuff is great. And you're, if you like the exorcist, you're going to find some really interesting things. Um, I know one thing I mentioned to Eric that I thought was weird was they have some of the footage of Linda Blair saying the profane things before the voice was dubbed over. And I was like, wow, she had to say all those things. Oh my God. Um, so that was interesting, but even better, like within the first five minutes, he mentions Carl Dreyer and a movie of his, and they show some scenes from Ordet, which I've not seen Ordet. Now I want to see that. He wow. talks about Hitchcock a bunch. He talks about Bernard Herrmann. He talks about like um, scoring movies and how sometimes the score you don't get doesn't work. And then he talks about, you know, the beginning of 2001, a space odyssey. And they put the score on that was originally scored for it with the footage. And then the footage you end up seeing, he talks about the influence of, of paintings like in depth and you get to see how the paintings affected the movies he made. So if you're a movie lover, this is just, this is just like the best extra feature for the exorcist that could be thrown on the 4k, you know, this 90 minute extra feature it's value added for any film fan, I would say, but it stands alone, right? You can just, yeah. you don't need, okay. Well, uh, you shouldn't watch it if you haven't seen the exorcist because you oh. definitely get that movie spoiled. <laughs> 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 but I mean, if you've seen the exorcist and like it, uh, other than that, that's like the only prerequisite, everything else. I mean, he talks about a bunch of his other works too. A lot of the other freaking stuff. I mean, there's a bunch of sorcerer stuff in there. There's a bunch of cruising. Surprisingly, there's a lot of stuff from cruising in there. Uh, bug pops in killer Joe. He talks about shots. He did in some of those movies that are based wow. on paintings. It's, it's almost kind of like a, it's almost kind of a, a film history lesson by way of the exorcist because you know, it, it, I mean, essentially, it's just William freaking talking through the whole thing, and which is great. I fucking like I said with Dave Chappelle, I love listening to. I wish William freaking could uh, sit next to me in my bed and just talk to me as they go to sleep. By but, the way, uh, can we just say that if all of us were just fired and and uh, William freaking just did find your film by himself, that would still be a, that would be a better podcast. He's amazing. Yeah, the guy's am- he's yeah. amazing. I'm down. If, 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 yeah, he gives right? you, if you take that email, say, yes, uh, Eric will understand. And then I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'll understand. I'm out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Bruce might stay around just for an ego. He'll just say, I'll, I'll be the moderator and he'll, he'll collect the profits. <laughs> we should. Sure. You're the smarter. You're the smartest one out of mm. all of us. But, but yeah. You you see, oh, and I, I was going to say, uh, just to wrap that up, is he's basically talking about the exorcist and all his influences that got him there. But in doing so, it's basically a, a film history lesson is what is what this movie is beyond just a behind the scenes of The Exorcist. When you were watching this, were you self-combusting, Eric Holmes? Because you've been on the freaking train ever since we started to find your film. You, this must have been like catnip for you the entire, what you said, Bruce, <laughs> yeah. 90 minutes. So I, I've heard of this thing coming out and it kept not coming out. Or like uh, someone, what was it? William Lindis has saw this or someone Maybe. was talking about it. Either way, I knew that this was coming out and, but it was like playing in film festivals and I couldn't see it. And then it finally came out on shutter and I'm like, Oh fuck. As soon as I found that. Yeah. 
I, I bet just you like, by. <gasps> <laughs> I bet you, Bruce. I bet you. By the end, by the end, this was finished. I'm sure Eric was secretly complaining that it should have been like an hour and a half longer. Uh, it should have been longer. No, I wasn't secretly complaining about that. <laughs> it's pretty open. It's so good, though. I mean, yeah, is this just the way he goes into so many different movies? And I don't know about you, Eric, but I loved the parts too where you see how bold he was for being such a new filmmaker. Like he does some things that are really ballsy, like that he did not have to do. And if he tells people no, and he says like, no, I don't want to do that. The stuff that we're like, what? It's like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it called again? It's on Shutter. Is there the, the moniker of it? Uh, Leap of Faith. Leap of Faith. Leap of Faith. Okay. I And I am going to, as this whole Thanksgiving weekend, I am going to subscribe to Shutter just because of Mario Baba and freaking they've made me do it before we leave. Bruce Perky, have you have you heard about God the Godfather Part Three? Eric Holmes, have you heard about that? Yeah, oh yeah, it's, they're it's, they're doing a the recut third of in it. the trilogy. Oh, that, no, yeah, they're that recutting one. it. They're recutting it. Yeah. Uh, it's a special long yeah. director's cut or something. It's called the Godfather Coda trailer. It came out a couple of weeks uh, a week ago, and a new cut of the Godfather Part Three will be released in December. I guess December 20th, and it's called The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. And spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. <laughs> and it's coming out in theaters, but also on VOD. Eric Holmes, you've been also, along with Friedkin, you've been on The Godfather Part 3 train. Are you yeah. excited about this new cut from Coppola? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try it out. I mean, like, Godfather 3 is not like my favorite movie of all time, but. Of the Godfather movies, it's my favorite one, and people shit on it. But I'll, I'll be interested to watch the new version, see what they see what they added. Maybe they took away. It, does it say is it longer or shorter than the? Because uh, sometimes director's cuts will take parts out, and sometimes they'll add stuff in. I don't well, know. It has if it, more Gremlins it has more Gremlins in it. Than the oh well, then it's maybe the third greatest movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Coppola, so he says this on, it uh, came out on Decider. He said, you will see a film which has a different beginning and has a different ending. Many scenes throughout have been repositioned and the picture has been given, <laughs> I think, a new life, which does in fact act as an illumination of what the two films meant. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. What would be what would be funny is if you see this cut, Eric Holmes, and if you actually prefer the original better, because you are the only person I think in existence who thinks the Godfather Part Three is the best out of the three. My mission in one day is to find other people and have the Godfather Part Three. Com- maybe we should create a new group like the Godfather Part Three community. I believe that's the top one. Have you, ever, Bruce? Have you ever met anyone who's who said that Godfather Part Three is the best? The trilogy eric holmes <laughs> eric have you met anyone other than you other than your doppelganger anyone no. else no it, it doesn't make sense to me that no one else feels the same way but i i will say that since i'm i'm very aware that this is a minority opinion that should not speak ill of sound of metal should not speak ill of <laughs> the wolf of snow hollow should not speak ill of thunder road because these are all great movies and just because i like godfather three better than the other two you should at least give them a shot because those are also good movies i will say this though it has my favorite Godfather tune out of the three, 
Promise Me You'll Remember by Harry Connick. What a beautiful song. Harry Connick Jr. But I, I can't wait to see the, the Coda Cut. So that, that'll be it. Uh, okay, so we're finished. Uh, we're, we're off to eat our turkey and our, our food. Bruce Burke, you want to say anything before we get out of here? Oh, just I am thankful that I have you two to talk to each week about movies. Thank you. Okay. Oh, th- that, that was very genuine. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that was even more genuine. Eric Holmes, you're going to take us out with, with something. No, no, you're in on that. <laughs> gobble, gobble, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With that, guys, have a happy Thanksgiving with you and your loved ones. Take care. <laughs>